Hi, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Fundamentalists podcast. My name is Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with Dr. Peter Rollins. Today, we're going to be discussing all sorts of things about dreams. But first, it's time for a brand new segment of How Many of Pete's Books Did I Destroy? So, bring me, uh, Pete, how are you doing while I bring up, uh, if you want to riff for a moment, and uh, yeah this is this is painful for me man this is like i love this this section this new section of the podcast it hurts me it hurts me just so yeah. you know uh oh, i that's good. uh <laughs> have you ever heard of the now forgive me uh our listeners viewers there might be a chance i repeat some of the books um i will say i looked at the books that you have yesterday in the garage you have tons of books tons still that survived Brilliant. several several <laughs> <laughs> in the tans you have dozen books that survive yes. <laughs> uh genealogy oh, of nihilism oh genealogy of nihilism yeah oh, yeah that was um it was that written by a guy called um connor what's what was the guy's name he's you a, got he's a northern irish guy really okay there you go connor cunningham <laughs> I think so. of course that's an irish cunningham name. yes um yeah, that's an interesting book. He was part of a group, loosely part of a group called the um, uh, Radical Orthodoxy. And yes. I met him. Those guys, he had to say it, but those Radical Orthodox guys were all very, not very approachable, put it that way, you know. Oh, um, serious yeah, boys. Yeah, so I, I did meet him once and it, it was a weird encounter, but... Um, but they were very smart and interesting bunch. Completely disagree in some respects with them, and, and not in other ways. But oh uh, yeah, that's fine. I mean, I've read okay. that book, so it's in good. a dump somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> systematic theology just sounds boring. I don't think you care about that, right? Systematic theology. Paul Tillich. Damn systematic it, theology. Damn it. Ah, uh, damn. That's not all the face I was volumes? hoping. <laughs> no, not all three volumes. Yes. <laughs> Is that a bad one? What about Bo- Bo- Baudrillard? <laughs> that's, uh, it's just about like the old three volumes. It sounds boring, but that's actually really good. Like Tillich was like, one of the few people hmm. in the 20. 20- he was one of the best kind of theologians and a very good philosopher, brilliant philosopher. Oh, yes, so yes. Really- Tillich is yeah. great, right? Yeah. Um, well. I'll, I'll, so I'll just rebuy those. That's, that'll be a rebuy one. Uh, radical hermeneutics. My my favorite, John Caputo. It is Caputo. Caputo's out. That's a brilliant. All of all of Caputo's books are brilliant. He is an incredible author. Um, pretty much every book he writes is a winner. Uh, but that's one of his early ones. I mean, uh, is I mean, he like Tillich? What's even... the? You throw out these. I know these names like in the from. I know Tillich and Caputo, but I don't know what they what they're all about. I know you reference them, but I have no idea in and of themselves what either of those people are actually think about anything yeah you would like them so like paul tillich he what well, how could you describe well he he's his one of his central ideas was this notion of ultimate concern that um kind of we as human beings have this experience of something that is ultimate something that kind of is like that we sh- that we have an ultimate concern which is something that we we feel we should do no matter how painful it is or uh that we shouldn't betray it no matter how much money or whatever we get like this ultimate concern that human beings are caught up in the in something ultimate and this is 
kind of the dimension of faith for him. Is this, so he's an existential theologian, and, and he talks about really to be human is to have ultimate concern. And even if you don't think you have it, deep down there's a sense in which we're all taken up by, by, by a concern. But that when we try to name it, uh, we lose it. We're kind, so almost like um, in the pursuit of truth, you're already taken up by truth. So even if you think there's no truth and you're arguing that there's no truth, in a sense, you're showing an ultimate concern for the question of truthfulness. Or an artist, they may not be able to, they they never are able to paint something truly beautiful that fully incarnates beauty, but they're caught up in the ultimate concern of beauty. Beauty is what animates their failure. So his his work on that is very brilliant. Um, And uh, yeah, that's him. And then, John Caputo's very brilliant at this idea of um, that there is a call uh, in everything. There's a promise in the world. Uh, so, for example, we talk about democracy. Democracy isn't something that completely exists. There's forms of democracy, but there's a promise in, in the word democracy for something that we haven't got yet. There is a, there's a promise in the word it's justice. like an ideal and a kind of ideal that's never met. It's like, so it's an ideal, it's, it's like a, an eternal openness. And for him, kind of faith is a, a sensitivity toward this openness and uh, this possibility. And so kind of like, that's part nice. of what he's about. He's a great guy. Not anymore. Wrote a great he's gone. on religion. What's that? Um, I he's said gone. not oh, anymore. Yes, I he's thought he's gone. gone. He's still alive, but his book Mm-mm. is gone. His book is gone, yes. Uh, and then the last one will hit um, the historical Jesus. Oh, um, uh, yeah, that's um, Shelton or no, um, oh, what's his name? She, uh, the ability on, um, for you to even remotely remember these names is insane, dude. <laughs> this is, your brain is, I would be exhausted just knowing the things that you know. Croissant, Crossan, is that what you said? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, Crossan, uh, is it? John Dominic Crossan, yeah. Um, you yes. would win the most boring game show that anyone could ever <laughs> come up with. <laughs> and the most poorly rated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, th- those guys, the guy, he's, he's very interesting just in terms of like, I'm not interested in this question very much, but I, I'm interested in some of the scholarship of kind of what can you say about this historical figure? This Is, he, is Jesus a figure of history and what can you say outside of kind of like, you know, dogmatics. So yeah, he's, he's a Who's, biggie in that area. Yeah, I've been watching this guy on uh, Instagram named Dan McClellan, uh, and he does, uh, he has a PhD in theology and religion, specializing in conceptualizations of deity, scripture, and religious identity, but he does these debunking things from a scholarly perspective where he'll find TikToks of people being like, they found Noah's Ark, and he'll be like, no, they oh, did yeah. not. And he has this very like deadpan voice, but I really like his yeah, stuff. Yeah, he likes him, yeah, Jay sent me some of his stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think maybe it was Jay that I found it through, and or because uh, I saw Jay likes his stuff a lot, as, along with Joel McHale, of all people. Um, and uh, who else? There's a couple people that are finding him that I think it's kind of funny to see them who's interested in it. But uh, it is the same thing where it's like, I, I get interested in the scholarly, like, historical element, but I also like what people get out of it. I think that's what you're getting at. Like, it's not really about the historical accuracy of everything. It's more like, you know, what you learn and what you take away. Is that what you're saying? 
That, is that what I'm saying? By what, by what Crossan said? About that kind of, yeah, about not being into the historical part of Jesus or whether or not. Oh, oh yes, what I'm, yeah, sorry, you're excited. Yeah, yeah, the reason why I'm not as taken by those questions is, yes, it's more, it's more like a dream. It's kind of like, if you think yeah. of the Bible like a dream, it's kind of like whether or not things happened, it caught, it captures people's subjectivity. Like so many people, millions of people have been caught up in this notion and what's more important to me is what people have been caught up in that yeah. so in the same way in the dream i'm not asking a person oh did you really see a red bus the other day you dreamt about a red bus and you were you were late for work and you almost jumped on it but a dog bit you well was there a dog that you saw yesterday and is there a red bus that you saw i don't care about whether the person saw a dog yesterday i'm interested in why a dog appears in the dream so you know, that's why I'm kind of more interested in that more existential question. What a seamless freaking segue, dude. All of a sudden, look at that. Now we're talking about freaking dreams, which is the freaking subject of this topic. And you just seem, you dove right in. That's perfect. Yeah, there you go. Like, I'm a pro, You're a pro. I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Uh, do you have, what are you? Microphone. Yeah. You got my you... You know, kind of Joe Rogan microphone. Yeah, it's uh, got that arm. It extends down. You can move it around to adjust yeah. for where you want to sit. Really cool. M- meanwhile, I have my little one that I have to hover around like it's a little a little punching bag. But uh, okay, so do you have thoughts on dreams, Pete? You said you had new thoughts. How should uh how should we do this? Well, I've never done this. Oh before. yes, you're the pro. I, I did, but you but you were you were the one who suggested lucid dreaming. So I thought like, and oh. I definitely have some thoughts on that and some thoughts on dream work. But is there was there a reason why you? wanted to talk about lucid dreaming well i i think honestly because we've talked about dreams before and i was like what about lucid dreaming and you hear people talk about lucid dreaming here's my relationship with lucid dreaming pete i've never done it myself i love the idea of it if you're unfamiliar with the idea of lucid dreaming which i'm sure basically everybody is but it's the idea that you can train yourself in waking life to be able to identify whether or not you're in a, or uh, be able to identify when you're in a dream, basically. And you can count your fingers sometimes, or you can try to spin around. It's really funny. And you can look down and you can go, I am not dreaming. I am not dreaming. I've read some stuff on it. It's very fascinating. And you, you hypnotize yourself a little bit. And the idea is that in a dream, you can then realize you're in it and you can control your environment. You can fly. That's what everybody says that they immediately yeah. do. But what I've found recently is that there's a very interesting thing where people sometimes when they are lucid dreaming and this seems to be happening i've seen i've heard this from more than one person that they will ask the person uh or say to the people in the dreams that they know that this is a dream because they are aware they've trained their brain to know that it's a dream and the people in the dream will laugh at them and say no it is not a dream (laughs) i think that's very fun and so then i've heard people say lucid dreaming is actually not possible you're really just like Somewhere between sleeping and awake, and then, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so that's it. And then people do it, and then I've never heard of somebody who does it consistently. I feel like everybody gets into it for a second, it sounds interesting, and then they don't, they don't do anything, uh, with it afterward. Yeah. So that's all I have. Yeah. Well, so I, like, I lucid dream. Like, that's, I, I, I lucid dreamt twice in the last few weeks. Really? Which is, which is not common for me at all, because I don't remember my dreams, but definitely in the last couple of weeks, um, I became aware in my dream that I was dreaming. And the w- one I can remember, I can only remember fragments of it, but I was I was in my apartment, but of course it kind of wasn't my apartment either. It kind of was and it wasn't. 
and there was a dog that I was feeding and there was part of me I was suddenly going like do I have a dog and I was like do I have a dog I didn't know I had a dog and I was like is this a dream and I was trying to remember techniques that I've heard I don't even know if I've really heard these I think I've heard them but one of the things I I I remembered in the dream was turning on the lights he said if you turn mm. on a light it won't go on or it'll go on very gradually because you know there's no light coming into your eyes so there's a you can't just turn on a light in a dream so I was looking for light sockets and I was also going oh yeah, I should read something. Because I think that if you read, you can't yeah. really read in your dream um, and it Words doesn't stay consistent. Yeah, so I was kind of doing this. But what was hilarious to me, more when I woke up, uh, and this is an interesting thing I want to talk about is the connection between lucid dreaming and psychosis, but is that I was running around in this apartment that wasn't really my apartment, feeding a dog, not knowing if I had a dog and some other random things all happening. And I was questioning, am I in a dream? Like, if in my waking life, I just suddenly, a dog appeared, uh, and my apartment radically changed all of its rooms, and suddenly there was an elephant walking through, you know, the kitchen, you'd immediately know something was up. But in yeah. dreams, the most random things happen, but you've got no perception of past and future. Like, I couldn't remember if I had a dog or not, or, or what the layout of my house was. Like, your level of consciousness is so low that i'm sitting trying to turn on lights to work out whether i'm dreaming when it's obvious yeah. i'm dreaming because everything's so nuts that's happening it's around so me <laughs> you know um and i think that's what it's like to be in a psychotic break that's what i was thinking afterwards it's like if, if you want to know when i lived in la you know and i saw people having psychotic experiences on the streets um which sadly was, is okay. kind of you crazy. can just say my name all right <laughs> Right here, dude. <laughs> yeah. Go on. Um, but you go like, what is it like to be in a world where you know someone's saying, "Listen, the FBI have got like they they put something in my teeth, and they're they're they know where I am, and I think you're working for them, and all of this stuff." And you go like, "Hi, what does that experience feel like subjectively?" Like, and at first I'm going like, "I can't put myself in the mindset of that person," but actually, in lucid dreaming, that's kind of what it's like. Like the weirdest stuff's happening and you're kind of there and you're kind of yeah. conscious and it kind of makes sense and it also completely doesn't. You know, you're, and you've got no sense of the future, no sense of the past, no memory. It's, it's, I think that's what it's like, probably the closest we can get to being in that experience. Um, yeah, it's like mush. It uh, reminds me of mushrooms, speaking of my, my shirt. Uh, if you are listening to this over audio you might not be treated to the video uh, forum at youtube.com slash elliot morgan because i'm wearing arguably the coolest shirt i've ever owned and pete is sitting in <laughs> that's very, the very, spot. Arguably. very very arguably very arguably <laughs> oh you don't like it do you not like this shirt <laughs> well oh this would be the opposite of the kind of shirt that you would probably like that makes sense listen this, you've this seen is... my wardrobe everything is gray or black yeah, uh, walking into your wardrobe also makes people want to turn on the light and find a light switch and shed some sort of brightness into that hellhole. Uh, but yeah, if you're not if you're not if you're not seeing it, my shirt is a bright blue collar and giant psychedelic uh, mu woven mushrooms on it. Anyway, uh, you look. We both look beautiful, um, and Pete's apartment looks beautiful. So anyway, we are. Uh, 
wearing mush taking mushrooms sounds like what you're talking about that sense of not having the realities get uh blurred a little bit um i was reminded of i always go back to the pete holmes bit where he talks about trying to explain sleep to an alien and he's like (laughs) explain food like i eat things i take their energy and then i have energy but anything else like at the end of the day i just gotta shut it all down and uh for like eight ten twelve hours just gotta put the whole thing to rest and then the alien's like well, that sounds boring. And he's like, no, it's not boring. My brain plays movies that I'm in. And you're like, oh, man, that is exactly well, what happens. Uh, um, my interest is in specifically boring dreams. I don't think boring dreams get enough uh, attention, and we end up talking about lucid dreaming. But my, I often have dreams where there's absolutely little to no difference between them and my ordinary life. For example, last night, I had a dream, which also I very rarely remember my dreams like you, uh, like you, Pete. And I had multiple last night. One of them I was doing. I meant yesterday to email my professor to set up like a conversation or a office hours kind of deal about dissertation uh, stuff and dissertation development. And I had a dream where we had office hours. It was him. He was talking to me. I brought up exactly what I was going to say verbatim. I brought up uh, different areas of research I was interested in. And then I brought up um, some other things that were all accurate. Like there wasn't a single thing in it that was like, whoa, it was just like not, it didn't really happen. It was just a, it's, it was like, all right. It was like I had the conversation without having to have the conversation with him. And then all he said at the end when I suggested something for an area of research, he looks at me and goes, yes. And also speaking apparently is really uncommon in dreams, actually hearing words spoken. And so the last thing I heard was yes, and then I uh, I woke up. And I was like, huh. So I'll be and talking so like, to him about are you that. S- are you saying that like everything that kind of was said to him – you either are wanting to say or have said to your real supervisor? Yeah, I mean, I will say it. I was going to say it, and uh, and everything was like, I mean, I mean, I wrote it down, and it was literally um, just going through the conversation with him. Uh, met in the classroom. Uh, I was on campus. Asked about dissertation. I even remember taking out my laptop. It was my laptop. Um, I explained in it that I might get a little upset because I'm frustrated. And then I go through all the different areas. And then he goes, at the very end, I go, what about this? And he goes, yes. So there's wish fulfillment, I'm assuming. Because you're just going, like, he's saying yes to probably whatever I unconsciously am interested or consciously interested in talking about. But I love the I love the dreams where it's just like, I wake up and I go, okay. There was no, the, there's no, you know the whole trope of people being like, oh, I had the craziest dream last night. Enough of that. I say we talk about yes. our boring dreams. Well, what, what was the frustration bit? Or can you talk about that? Because that... That's interesting. I'll talk about it vaguely, but it's basically just about the areas of um, not knowing what I want to write about for the dissertation and study for two years, and so that's the yeah. frustration. Because, because my um, yeah, my guess is that that you know, if I was doing dream work with you, like I, I would go like, oh, that that experience of frustration is a displacement of some something else, you know. So, but anyway, <laughs> um, sex. I mean, and, and, is it sex? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's a sex. Your small penis. Yeah, we always come back to that. Yes, yeah. I sublimated that thing so many times. <laughs> um, yeah. So 
actually, this brings to the point that I kind of maybe want to talk. We've talked about this before, but I kind of, um, I'm, I am very interested in how do you interpret dreams. So like you tell me that dream and like, is there something in it? That's 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 interesting. What is it in a dream that kind of like you can uh, mm-hmm. take out of it? Can, do, do dreams have anything to tell us? Does that dream that you have have anything to tell you? And funnily enough, I find it easier to interpret other people's dreams than my own. I can never interpret my own dreams, but I'm more successful when I'm t- somebody else. I think it's because you're so close to your own dream; they're an enigma to you. But when you hear someone else's dream, you can sometimes, you know, make connections uh, that yeah. the person. See. Um, so, you know, even in your example of like, you know, there's, you're talking to the, the supervisor and there's a frustration, um, you know, I do think in free association that would probably come out in something kind of interesting, but, uh, here's, here's my reading of how to interpret a dream. See what you think. Do you want to hear it? Okay. Yeah, of course. I okay. love this. Yeah. Um, I, and I'm going to rely heavily on a, like a Sapanchik who in her book, What is Sex?, which is a great book, um, actually very, very kind of contemporary, as in there's a whole thing in popular culture about what is, about gender and sexuality. And so What is Sex? is a very good book that's kind of about that, kind of from a philosophical, psychoanalytic angle. Anyway, um, she, and I, pro- I think I've mentioned this story before, but she uses a, a, like a, a little silly joke to kind of like brilliantly illustrate I think dream work and so the story is i think you've heard it is that a man comes home from work he's exhausted and he sits down in front of the tv turns it on he's waiting for a tv show and he says to his wife get me a drink before it starts and his wife goes gets him a drink and he drinks it down he says listen get me another drink before it starts and then she gets him another drink and he says it a third time she's getting really frustrated by him just sitting on the couch waiting for this TV show, just not doing anything. And uh, like, she says, look, get me another beer before it starts. And then she says, you're lazy, you're good for nothing. I'm not here just to get you whatever you want. And then he says, ah, it started, right? So the the line at the end is kind of, you, you suddenly realize that what he means is before the argument starts. So Sapanchik uses this in a few different ways, which is brilliant. Um, one is, as an aside, that that he doesn't realize that he is implicated in what he thinks is just happening to him, right? So somebody's in a bad relationship and they think, I'm just in this bad relationship and this bad relationship is happening to me. But often we are implicated in it. Otherwise we would leave, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have done it. So we, we often don't see ourselves as implicated in or or in the fantasy of like you always hear somebody outside late at night and you always think oh there's somebody trying to break into the house you think it's out there but if you're constantly having that thought you're implicated in it like there's something of you that is in that thought so that's one thing about the joke but what Sapanchik does is she says well let's imagine that that's a dream right let's imagine that that story is actually I I've I've had that dream a dream where I've come home from work I'm sitting down, I'm exhausted, about to watch a, a, a football game on the TV, and I'm saying to my partner, get me a drink before it starts. And this happens three or four times in the dream, and eventually my, my partner blows up, gets really angry with me. Right? And that's how I describe the dream to my analyst. Um, 
what Freud says, which is very clever, right? Freud says the, the, what, what we always think or what we tend to think is that the content of the dream is where all of the meat is. So what somebody might do is they would say, well, listen, I think that this shows that you're frustrated with your partner. I think this dream shows that there's problems in that relationship, that uh, the relationship you feel, whether rightly or wrongly, you feel that it's getting in the way of you enjoying your life, right? Something like that, some interpretation like that. And of course, I would say, oh, yeah, that really resonates with me, right? I'm here in therapy because I've got a bad relationship. We're always arguing. The dream reflects that. So the dream has this content that tells me kind of what I already knew, right? So I go, oh, yeah, that's right. But Sapanchek says, no, no, that's not what psych proper psychoanalytic reading is not about the content. It's about the form, the structure of the dream. Mm -hmm. And what, what the dream tells you is actually that you enjoy the argument with your partner, right? And so, so the psychoanalyst would be the one to do the punchline of the joke. I would tell the dream, I'm waiting for the TV program to start. I'm asking for beer. She keeps bringing me beers and then she really blows up. The analyst might intervene and say, oh, so it started, right? And then in that moment, I suddenly have a realization, oh, I'm the one who's starting these arguments. It's not my partner, really. I'm, I'm, I am the director. I am the conductor creating mm -hmm. this spark. Instigating, yeah. Instigating. And in that moment, and this is very key, I think, for psychoanalysis, is when you go to an analyst, you go with a symptom, and a symptom is always the manifestation of a contradiction. So maybe I went to the analyst because I have a bad relationship with my partner and this comes out in that dream. That's the symptom. The analyst is not there, Sapanchik says, to, um, is not there to cure the contradiction, but is there to solve the solution. So the solution is the arguments. Actually, I think that the arguments I'm having with my partner is the symptom that covers over a contradiction and I'm getting enjoyment out of it but I don't know I'm getting enjoyment out of it I don't know that I'm enjoying fighting with my partner I think I'm not she thinks she's not but in some way we're getting jouissance from it and so we're getting excitation from it but in the moment that the analyst says oh then it started I realize oh shit I get enjoyment out of this I want to have the arguments and in analysis you basically rob it of its enjoyment. You suddenly go, oh, and you're confronted with something and then you can kind of ask the question, what is it, I, why am I arguing? So for example, I might want to argue with my mother. Maybe she's long dead, but why? I've wanted to argue with her, but I've also been scared to argue with her as a child. I was afraid to argue. So it's displaced onto my partner. I'm arguing with her and my anger at my mother is displaced onto my wife but in the moment that i realize that i'm enjoying the argument then i can have the insight that oh my goodness i actually am arguing with my mother so that for me is the, the, the you're all terrible yes and that's that would be called for freud the unconscious dimension of the dream so the latent the manifest content is the beer the tv the sofa the partner that's the manifest content the latent thought is you're not getting on with your partner. You're, the TV is maybe representation of entertainment and uh, you know all of that and you, you're not, you just want to kind of get on with your life. 
but then the navel of the dream is the is the form which is oh you actually enjoy the arguments with your wife you actually instigate them because you're getting something out of it very nice um i'm gonna be honest with you dude i've heard you say that before that whole that joke um that she talks about and i until now thought you literally meant that the show that he wanted to watch was was starting and you talked <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you talked to me about this before and I was like I was, I'll nod and I was like that's cool but now I get that oh the show is the argument and so that alone yes. was a revelation for me um, oh very so good I know I'm not telling it well enough I have to like, tell it better <laughs> yeah no that was great I was like that was you did it right it was my dumb brain uh that that didn't get it do robots dream of electric sheep oh oh that's oh uh, there's that another one that was destroyed is that your way of telling me that Philip K Dick is also gone Oh, is that? Yeah, that is Philip K. Dick. No, no. Was, I didn't know you had Philip K. Dick in there. Oh, I'll yeah. I'll definitely oh. make sure that's. Uh, I can't wait. Um, I'll have to go through that. But uh, no, I just that popped in my head because I was reading about that. Um, one of my professors is writing a book on technology. Anyway, um, do animals, when they're dreaming, when my dog dreams, is there latent and manifest content, Pete? Are there, is, there, is there an unconscious in animals? See, that's, that's interesting, especially with the AI, because, like, you know, I would argue that pretty much no, there's, in most animals, there's no unconscious, because I would argue that the unconscious only exists in the symbolic, uh, in the signifier, which is human. But, but the question then is, can, will AI eventually dream? Which is, well, will AI have an unconscious? That's fascinating. That's fascinating. But also, I mean, doesn't that mean that dreams, pre- dreams predate humans? Right, like the evolu- on the evolutionary chain, you can imagine that there were non-humans that were dreaming. Yes, but then the dream so, would be yeah. Oh, go ahead. So the dream gets hijacked by some function of the psyche at some point in the history of evolution when contradiction arises, and you realize, and you go, and you look in a mirror. Yes, yes, absolutely. That, that's a great way of saying it. Hijacked this in the same way that sexuality is hijacked so um french psychoanalyst laplanche talks about this where he says the issue for us the reason why human beings are very weird sexually um is because by the time we become able to have sex right whenever we kind of basically go through puberty um already he says the drive has taken the seat of sexuality which means that animals mate they have sex, but human beings, we, we have all sorts of rituals and fantasies and all sorts of things we have to do, even if it's going out for a meal or buying presents or lighting candles or dressing up in certain things, certain activities that we enjoy. Like our sexuality is not, let's invert it commas, pure, right? Our sexuality is, Freud says, polymorphously perverse because it's kind of like it's that our sex, our mating instinct is hijacked by all sorts of fantasies, libidinal investments. And so in the same way, dreaming, like an animal might dream, human beings, it's hijacked by the unconscious. That's all, like the unconscious kind of hijacks the, the basic mechanism of dreams and, and communicates through it in weird yeah. ways. And it'll hijack our language and hijack every, and uh, through yes. parapraxis. I didn't know that Freud was a... Um, working with sexologists uh, in the beginning and that when that was a fledgling field and helped the sexologists unite with the, uh, in like an interdisciplinary way with the mental uh, psychologists, psychists, what I don't know what they would call themselves back in the day, but uh, I was reading about that whole 
thing of him kind of with um what book was it it's like three essays or something and it was like a revolution where he just he took all the theories of sexologists and then in like three essays was like nope this is why we're gonna reframe everything and take it and everyone was like holy crap he's back on top everybody because that was when i guess he was struggling post uh post realizing that not every girl was being molested by her uh dad in a literal oh, yeah. way Yes, that, uh, that was the big insight. Yeah, seduction theory, the rejection of seduction theory. Uh, that, and that, you're right, that's where kind of psychoanalysis kind of really becomes psychoanalysis. Or that's one of the places where, where Freud goes, oh, trauma isn't necessarily related to actual abuse. Um, that was a big transformation. I've been doing this class. Uh, it's called uh, psych- Psychoanalytic Openings, um, which I don't know why they... I feel like that name of a class in terms of naming a class is so funny, but I have, I don't know how to bring it up. Cause I'm like, you guys really called it psychoanalytic openings. Like that's like, you just know what you're doing. Like, come on, that's so silly. Uh, but it's about like current conversations in psychoanalysis. And I brought up Lacan a few times just in um, comments and stuff. And man, you would not believe how much I can butcher uh, what he what he says yeah. or what he he believes like i'll i'll say if words and i'm like something there is kind of like if you do like a if you look at the sentence as a whole there's like probably something accurate in it but when you actually read what i'm saying i think i'm screwing up all of the uh the words i'll be like it's some i was talking about the ego and i was talking about like it's worth noting that like the ego doesn't really exist my understanding from a lacanian perspective and it's sort of the gap or the lack between or the contradiction between the uh, you know, I said it, be- I believe it or not, I said it better in the comment, but it was about, there's no lack. And as soon as I'm done, I'm like, nope. I was like, I should have just not said anything, but I got words. Yeah. In, well, that means you're doing the con, right? Yeah, you're doing the con. Yeah, that's- <laughs> if, if, yeah. I mean, you, spe- you have to spend 10 years of just really struggling with them. <laughs> I'm kind of, yeah. yeah it, it, that's very good. <laughs> Make it, and um, all of his little uh, math problems, but yeah. Oh, yes, and math themes are fascinating. I'm reading them about them again at the moment. I'm actually rereading that book, What is Sex by Sapanchik, and it, it's very good on that stuff. I very highly um, recommend it. What do you make of um what do you make of the, the dream of you feeding a dog? Yeah, well you know the funny thing is that's the only bit that I kinda remember. There was a lot more to it that was probably significant. Um that bit is kind of like you know, just taken from the ether for this podcast. So, but I, I couldn't get very far in the dream. Yeah. I didn't really analyze it. But as I say, my dreams are always kind of a bit of an enigma to me. Um, yeah. Uh, would you like yeah. an interpretation, a Jungian interpretation? Nope. I would love that. Yes. Can, Probably. Is that it? Yeah. Oh, oh God. Um, <laughs> it's the morning. Sorry. <laughs> That's so rude. I forget what podcast I'm on sometimes. Uh, the Valley cast is just like, bah, bah, bah. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't like doing it, honestly. I, I, I feel always feel like I, there's something with instinctual energies. You're feeding instinctual thing, but dogs would represent some sort of companionship or some sort of a um, um, friendly instinctual thing, a, a fun loyalty, um, you compensating for not getting out of your instinctual side or or do you feel um overly domesticated well see this was and this is interesting because this would be what i would say without being critical because i think it's good but that's con that's look like i think a lot of union interpretations look at the content of the dream 
uh, over yes. the form. That's but quite then, literally but then the stick with the image. Yeah, but then then there's something useful about that because there is truth in that. Um, you know, very much, and actually, I think the the person resonates. So in that in that story, I told you if that was my dream, and the analyst, you know, stuck with the imagery of the dream. Um, I would probably come to some insights, but I think they're mostly conscious insights. Um, yeah, yeah, like they're right a, there. I, you know, so, oh, here, I did want to say something. Please. Yeah, about, about the psychoanalytic openings. I just remembered um, here in Belfast, there's this new psychoanalytic school opened, and they were called, and my friend was doing graphic design for them, and he called them out for this. They were called the Northern Irish uh, Psychoanalytic Society, and and he showed me the material, and it bounced out to me straight like away. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nips. Yeah, yeah. Nips. I was like, <laughs> this is a fucking Northern Irish psychoanalytic. They're, they're called nips, like the nipple, yeah. the mother's breast. And they erogenous didn't notice zone. it. One of the yeah. major Freudian erogenous zones that later gets. Absolutely. And the whole thing about the maternal, you know, the motherly breast. Oh, yeah. And, and so, yeah. So eventually, um, my friend Chris. Uh, Fry, he was like, he forced them to change it. They didn't see, one, they didn't see it, and then two, they didn't see an issue with it. So now I think they're the Northern Irish Society of Psychoanalysis. Yeah. Northern Irish uh, Society of Psychoanalysis? Yeah. So, so no more nips. <laughs> That's a good call, man. That's two people need to re recognize in this day and age that the first thing that will happen to you that is remotely negative is not going to be people canceling you. It comes first with them making fun of you. And in this irreverent world in which we live, you have to be incredibly careful with acronyms because if you accidentally spell something like nips or dicks or something or scat, uh, yeah. uh, that's one that's a public transportation in Sarasota, you're going to get made fun of and you're never going to be able to escape it. And that's bad. <laughs> Oh, very good. Yeah, and the truth finds a way. That's power praxis. I mean, uh, I had a, I did a, I had a psychoanalysis where I, I think I've told you about this. I wrote a check for for my analyst. Was you know still writing checks in those days, and it, the amount that I wrote was um, uh, sixteen ninety, right? Which one thousand six hundred and ninety which was not the cost that I was supposed to write the check for, for the analysis. And I did it and I didn't think, but 1690 is a kind of significant date in Northern Ireland and Northern Irish history and in terms of my school. And uh, I went to a Protestant school. And so this, this, this number 1690 um, had some kind of unconscious dimension huh. to it. And I, so I wrote a Freudian check, didn't even notice. And, uh, yeah, kind of. Also, the other one was a Freudian email, where the designer of my book cover years and years ago was a guy called Bruce something, and in that book called Insurrection, in the book, I the subtitle is to I think to believe as human to doubt divine something like that, and I I wrote an email to Bruce saying I'd like the 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 lie in belief L I E in belief I want that to be read. But I sent it to my analyst, Bruce Fink. So I sent to my analyst uh, yeah, yeah. this email saying, I want the, the lie, I want the lie and believe to be read. Um, yeah. Didn't even know until my analyst brought it up. Said, you know, he sent me an email last week, um, you know, we should maybe talk about. And I was like, I didn't send you an email. He's like, no, he sent me an email. I, like, I didn't send you an email. I was like, 
oh, whoa, I, I, I did? I sent you an email? Very bizarre. Not only that, but you said you sent it to your analyst and asked for it to be read. Like, there's a, like, he's like, clearly let's talk about it because you asked me to read it. Like, you asked me to yes. read the situation. See, it's fun. That's, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, when you, that's, good. that's when you listen literally. You're a literalist, and it's brilliant. And you go, oh, I, I want the lie to be read. That's brilliant. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Because that, wow. that's where an analyst or literalist, they're fundamentalists. You, you listen to, not to what the person intends, but to what the person literally says. Because <laughs> I didn't intend to say that, but I literally said it. The truth I is, can in understand. The, is in yeah. I can understand why people sometimes find me insufferable. I think it can be like that's the thing too with this stuff. I think people sometimes think that that you uh, or I, to perhaps slightly lesser degree, will walk around trying to read between the lines that everybody says. But in reality, I barely pay attention to what other people say. So yes, only in I, very yeah. specific conversations. It's even worse. I can second that. That Elliot, in fairness, does not care enough about anybody to listen that carefully. I don't even know uh, if if you're out of sight. I don't even know that you wear. You know, actually, I was talking about this with my uh, wife because as bad as I am, she if she does not actively care about something, she will not. Um, like she won't retain a single thing, and it's really impressive at times. And she'll be like, "What are you gonna do? What are you? Uh, what's your plan tomorrow?" And I'll be like, "Well, I'm doing this, this, this." And then like ten minutes later, she's like, "What are you doing tomorrow? What are you doing tomorrow?" I'm like, "Well, I'm doing this, 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 and this." And so it's just like. We're just like filling this air with noise, uh, and yes. then I'll say it, and then she'll say it back, and then we'll be like, nah, "Do you care? Like, do you care what I'm doing tomorrow?" <laughs> I don't, like, no, nah, I don't really care. It's very. Funny. I, I have a friend who just last week I was out with them, and they they said, "Oh, you know, I think I suffer from face blindness. This thing, face blindness, because I never recognize people, and I know this guy really well. He's a very nice guy, but like, he just doesn't care." I was like, "You don't have face blindness. You just..." <laughs> You just don't give a shit. And it's like, oh, yeah, I guess. So, you know, because so, like you just, a... there's lack of concern. I'm not going to remember your face because I couldn't really be arsed, you know? Yeah, that's the uh, <laughs> uh, Brad Pitt has that a lot. And he came out and like said it was like a really severe thing. And I don't maybe that's a real thing. I have no, don't know. Anything yeah, about face blindness, I'm sure it, but... sure it is. And some people have it, but I don't think this person yeah. has it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm like, oh, Brad Pitt, one of the most gorgeous, talented, most successful actors of all time who like is chill and smokes a lot of weed doesn't rem has face blindness. No, he just doesn't <laughs> give a crap. He doesn't have to yes. remember. He's like a god among men. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did. Have you seen Bullet Train, by the way? That's a really great movie. Oh, yeah, it did. I enjoyed it. I um, I can't remember. Like, I, I liked it. And Not I gotta say, it's one of the. Yeah, but it's it's one of the few movies that I've modern movies I've enjoyed because I have given up mostly on modern movies. Like yes. if I ever watch a movie, I nine times out of ten it's going to be something from a long time ago. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think no, of that. There's a couple. Yeah, have you seen anything recently that you've liked? Succession, but I've told you for years you got to watch oh. Succession, but I know oh, it's hard I, for you to. I've have started. You you... No, I've started to watch it, and it's very good. Very good, yeah. Stick with it because the most recent season seems pretty insane. But um, I, I started watching Lucky Hank, which is Bob Odenkirk. We do TV, so it's all TV. But Lucky Hank with Bob Odenkirk is about an English professor who's like a at a kind of mediocre college, and um, it's sort of good. We realize it's basically a sitcom, like a kind of a sitcommy type show, so it makes it easier to forgive some of the cheesier moments. It's a little writery, but it's pretty good. And Bob Odenkirk, I think, is a national uh, treasure. So. Ed, what about yeah. you? Have you watched anything like good that you've 
Not much, but I, I'm doing every now and again, I do a thing on my Patreon called Exposure. So it's a film. We talk about a movie. We watch a movie, talk about a movie. And I'm doing it in two weeks. And I was trying to think, what am I going to do? And I think I'm going to do a movie called, I think it's called Riders of Justice. And it's got your man Mads Mikkelsen, is that his name? Yeah. Um, in it. And it was very good. Now, it's a few years old, um, but it's a really good movie. And uh, yeah, that's not the last good movie I saw, but that in the last few years, that's a movie that stands cool. out to me. Really, really good. Yeah. There's a movie called Paddington, I think. I thought, not Paddington Bear, but I do want to see those as well. Um, but it's starring Adam Driver, and he plays uh, the. Um, he lives in Paddington, New Jersey, uh, which is where some poet. And he's a. It, it's a, one of those like kind, mildly boring movies, but not really boring, just sort of like pleasantly chill and very slice of lifey. And like he does such a great job with this very subtle character, but it, he plays a striving poet or, um, you know, aspiring poet and, uh, and a bus driver. It's really great. And so I would recommend that okay. um, as well. I kind of want to revisit that because it's also just interesting. He's such a good, there's so many good. So many good actors. We got Penguin coming out. There's entertainment uh, galore right now. So what's coming out? Uh, um, the new Penguins show. They're making a Colin Farrell Penguins. You know, I love the Batman. No, and so are they? Oh, yeah, a, a, a TV show, not a movie. Yeah, a whole TV show where he like she, she, they released a trailer and it looks pretty uh pretty intense and he's like got the big old like penguin makeup on and so it's set in the same universe as the Batman and it looks just as it looks darker than the the movie did, um, so I'm stoked about that. It's my nerd, my nerd bones getting scratched. We knew that, that I saw that meme once where it's like uh, it's, it shows like whatever the first Batman came out, you know, 2001, a, a darker, grittier Batman, and then it says you know, 2012, a darker, grittier Batman, <laughs> a darker Batman. Like you keep thinking they can't go darker and grittier, but every time. Oh. They do. I God, I love that meme so much. It's the guy from uh, Watchmen, the blue dude, uh, who's on the planet darker. Twelve years later, a darker, grittier black. Two thousand eighteen, a darker, grittier black. Very funny. Um, what other kind of dream stuff can we talk about? And uh, do you believe in treating life itself as a dream, it, or excuse me, do you believe that life is but a dream? <laughs> life is but a dream. What's that? For? Is that a, the a song? Um. Yeah, I believe so. I don't know if it's a Disney yeah. uh, something or other. <laughs> Very good. Um, so what was the first question? Uh, dreams. Any other types of dreams that you want to cover? Yeah. No, I mean, the, the big thing I was, like I said, big insight. Whenever you mentioned lucid dreaming, the big thing that came to mind was um, the, the, the question of the, the extent to which that is like being in psychosis that, that you, it's also for anybody who wants to know what derealization or depersonalization feels like kind of feels like that or how, what it feels like to kind of like lose all touch with logic and reason in, in your waking life um, that yeah so that's kind of I think an interesting and I need to do some reading on that because I haven't read anything explicitly that links the two, but I'm guessing there is some sort of interesting connection there. Um, nice. And, and then the big thing I'm interested in is just that idea of what Freud called the navel of the dream, which is whenever you're listening to a dream, it's, you, can, you can tell something about your kind of conscious wishes. 
You can tell if you're, whatever's going on in your life, you might get a little bit of insight, but actually more fundamentally, you can often tell how your desire works, what your desire is invested in. Um, and that can be very uh, disruptive in a good way. So in, for some psychoanalysts like Lacan, he says that a psychoanalytic interpretation that makes sense is not a psychoanalytic interpretation. Like the point is not to give an interpretation of a dream that the person goes, oh yeah, that's great and that sounds right. But also it, it's to do something that evokes a change. Just like if, that, if the person in that dream the analyst, if I told in the dream about coming home, drinking the beer, having the arguments, and their intervention is, oh, so it started. I was like, oh, I'm waiting for this TV show to start, and then she starts arguing with me. Oh, so it did start. That moment is like this moment in which something is released. Something is, some enjoyment that I get out of the arguments is divested. Um, and, that, you know, I think that's what dream work is, is not getting an insight into oh, this is what's going on in my life. But a good psychoanalytic interpretation is one in which it changes how you do it. And one example of that was a friend of mine who was having this dream in which he was he kept messing up. I can't remember in what way, but it was something to do with car meters. Right? He kept messing up and embarrassing himself. And I remember saying to him, oh, so you enjoy being humiliated by X person? And at that moment, he was able to go, oh, I do. There's something, although I hate that this person's always humiliating me and putting me down, I, there's something in me that gets something out of that. And he said that the moment that after that happens, he, this was his ex-partner, he started to treat her differently and not accept when he was being belittled. And it changed the dynamic. But what changed was he, he realized he was getting enjoyment out of being belittled. And in that insight, he stopped getting enjoyment from it. And the whole dynamic changed. Nice. And they lived happily ever after. So clearly, I just get enjoyment out of not having um, a, a subject to write about for the next two years. Oh, yeah, maybe. Fair well, enough. That's interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, take perpetually it. Perpetually putting it off. Yes, po- the which neurotic. I'm very good at. Yes, the neurotic return, the return of the neurotic. Hey, everybody, welcome yeah. back. Uh, cool. Well, which this plays been... out in, it plays out in like, uh, you know, like, like I, because I'm waiting, because I want you to do a Elliot Morgan show. Yeah. But I've got a feeling you keep putting it off. I was thinking about, um, I do, in that interesting, I talk, oh boy, this, I have to do therapy in like an hour. So oh, yeah. I'll have to do the same conversation. But yeah, it's fascinating. That I always, <laughs> it's the, because it, he'll go, so it's funny. It's like, you know, you want to do this thing. Um, and uh, he's like, you know, you say you're going to do it. And then weeks turn into months and months turn into a year. And all of a sudden it's still not happening. And he'll be like, why, what, what's, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't know. It's your job to figure out, dude. I was like, yes. maybe I don't want to. Maybe I enjoy not doing it. Uh, but I'm thinking about yes. doing a Substack type deal. Have you ever done that? Have you, I'm starting to get into it. Have you? No, I, but people swear by it, and a lot of people I deep respect have substacks and do that, and have even really? said, and said that they should, but I haven't looked into it. So I'd be interested what your experience is going to be like on that. I think yeah. there's something to just writing, just writing and being able to formulate my thoughts that gets me a little bit more jazzed than feeling like videos. Ha- I rely on other people a little bit, but that's also all logistical bullshit, and it's not really true. So that's, see, I'm doing the thing again where I just sort of like 
rattle off the same old um, excuses. But again, I'll be talking to Gary about it, and Gary will make fun of me a little bit, and that's what he does. Yeah. And I enjoy <laughs> his humiliation as he as he mocks me. Um. Anyway, yeah. uh, this has been very fun. Pete, should is there anything people should know about? Do you want to plug anything? Do you want to? Uh, I mean, we just did Easter, so do you want to? Do you want to give an Easter blessing or plug an <laughs> Easter appropriate book of yours? I would. The one thing I could mention, I don't think this would be, you know, very. There's, you know, very many people would be willing to, or interested in this, but I do my yearly uh, kind of autumn retreat. And it's actually, there's only five places left. I take this whole beautiful hotel in Northern Ireland and for five days, there's a spa and a hotel and we do philosophy and we do art and music and all of that together. Um, so I can mention that, but like there's only five spots left. If anybody's ever wanted to go to Ireland for an October retreat, um, then definitely check that out. That would be my one plug. Have you got anything Very to plug? Very nice. I will just say that once again, as we were saying before we hit record, uh, we're, I was shocked that we have an audience for this podcast. I always assume that we don't. And so if people want to help out with it, they can go to patreon.com slash the fundamentalists. And we will, again, uh, as we always do, go through spurts of activity on the uh, podcast. But if you want to get in there it, uh, on the Patreon, it helps us pay for the editing and for the Squadcast program that we use to be able to... Um, to do stuff so if you check which, it out which at the moment it helps you because you're the one paying for this i haven't paid yes. for anything really yet. so um uh, yep. yeah so at the moment elliot is basically paying for everything um, um it's once him. again yeah i'm from just uh front no yeah yeah please help me <laughs> that's, that's my favorite <laughs> way that people ever plug patreons please help me um but yeah people are feel free to do it and uh we'll post stuff and maybe do um we have been talking about doing a thing where People can um, join us on this program. They have a, a thing called this, uh, what's it called? There's the stage and then there's backstage and you can watch um, us as we do this. And we might throw up a link on the Patreon at some point if people want to uh, to just join in or maybe throw out questions while we're recording, which might be kind of fun. I'm sure oh, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. And, and if anybody, um, please uh, t- tweet us or whatever, Instagram us ideas, topics for conversation. I would love to hear what yeah. you guys want us to talk about that would be very helpful as well yep awesome well thank you everybody this has been a wonderful conversation and may you dream peacefully bye bye